Hi there, it's Jillian, and I want to tell you about Jillian on Love Plus, your way to get even more Jillian on Love each week by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Patreon. You can access exclusive bonus episodes with extras, including answers to your most burning questions, advice on all things dating and relationships, and much more. Check out the link in the episode description for more information. Hi there. This is Jillian on Love, and I'm on a mission to teach people how to transform their romantic relationships by first transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are in a relationship, you're single or heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationship with themselves. To their bodies, breaths, and minds, I have now coached and taught thousands of people to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. In today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing author, speaker, coach, human connection specialist obsessed with how humans connect and how to optimize our relationships, and in turn, our lives, Mark Groves. If you don't already know Mark Groves, you should. He has one of the best social media accounts on Instagram called Create the Love. He's one of the OG originals in this space. And he is also someone who has amazing courses. And I have just been in awe of him from afar for a long time. It was just recently on his podcast, actually. And he has such an interesting story and he gives the best advice, just really direct, no BS advice. And this is someone who really walks his talk and has helped thousands of people. And so we had a conversation and it was a great conversation we cover a lot. I mean, we cover his personal journey from being sort of anxiously attached and going to avoidant to then having a relationship that ended consciously. And he really talks about that. And then they got back together and they are now married and have a child. So that's just an interesting story in and of itself. We talk about attachment styles. We talk about situationships. We talk about what it means to love someone. We talk about what happens during heartbreak and how to get over that. I mean, we really cover, I mean, this is a long conversation and we cover so many different topics and they're topics that I know all of you really interested in because I hear from all of you. So I wanted to make the most of having his time and for you all to be sort of like a fly on the wall of this conversation between two people. And I, we have actually our paths are very different in many ways, but there's also a lot of similarities. And I really think you're going to enjoy the conversation. And I know that you are going to get kernels of wisdom here that could be life-changing. So here we go, everyone. Mark Rose. Hey, Mark. Hi. I'm so psyched to have you here. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so pumped to be now in your house. I that know. feels good. There's so much I want to talk about with you. The first thing I want to talk about, because I just am so curious, and I think a lot of people are curious, and I know it's a little bit on your website, but... 
how did you go from sales to like <laughs> human connection specialist, social media extraordinaire? Like how? I, I think people in sales really are human connection specialists, you know, in a I lot would of agree. ways. Yeah. yeah. And that's really where it began. You know, as a teenager, I was really fascinated by relationships, but I thought I was good at them. I always thought I was good at love. And I think it was because I had this self-perception that I loved all out, you know, classic, you know, codependent, anxiously attached line that justifies all the self-abandonment. So <laughs> I had that self-perception, but let's be honest, if you have that self-perception, it will bite you in the ass at least once, unless you don't pay attention. And so I, in my teens, went through a couple really big breakups with some big betrayals. I'd say that the betrayals relationally occurred with my partners, but the betrayal origins really occurred with myself in that I abandoned myself, which you always find, I won't say always because there'll be exceptions, but almost always you find yourself in betrayals in relationship because there was an early betrayal of self and you blew right by it because your, you know, your sensories weren't there. You've learned to bypass your intuition and your boundaries. So in my early 20s, I started to study how do you influence human behavior. I'd been betrayed. I didn't. I thought I was good at love. Clearly, I wasn't. I started to become more casually <laughs> relating. And I was, at the same time, working in an electronics store, which was like Best Buy. It was in Canada. It was called The Future Shop, which it was very much like the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Or, mm. Is that the right term? Yeah, I think that's the right movie. The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was with, a great uh, movie. Steve Carell. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It was a lot like that. And we sold extended warranties and I was obsessed with how to get people to buy things. And at the same time, I was obsessed with trying to figure out how to not have a woman betray me. I was reading like some pickup books. I read Robert Greene's The Art of Seduction, The 48 Laws of Power, which are both really incredible books. But my real intent was to influence behavior to not get hurt and to influence behavior in order to get people to change their behavior to buy something. And I was in a relationship for five years in my mid-20s. I was at the same time a pharmaceutical rep, and I was doing really well, winning awards for sales. I was good. And I went through a breakup at 27, and I was like, wait, why am I so good at talking about everything but my feelings? This doesn't make sense. And my world really melted in that breakup because I got engaged to a really incredible woman, but I didn't want to be. I didn't know why I didn't want to be. And when we broke up, which was really the first time that I'd chosen myself in however long I could remember, I don't even know, long time. And I also experienced that the people outside of me, a lot of the people I love, not all of them, but a lot, were now judging me based on my relationship ending. And I saw, oh my God, there's this giant narrative that your value is in if your relationship is intact. And if your relationship ends, somehow you're considered a failure. I've never been more connected to myself. And yet I feel disconnected from some people I love the most. So that was a strange paradox that I wanted to explore. So that's, I started to study romantic relationships because I was trained in understanding clinical trials and all that stuff. I went into the research on it. I went back to school, studied positive psychology, and there really isn't a like science of positive relationships that certainly evolved a lot. And you know, the Gottman's work was really sort of the foundation of a lot of that. Harville Hendricks, Helen Hunt, you know, like all these trailblazers. And that's how it began. I started to share my story, share what I was learning, share my failures and really my 
writing and my work became sort of like a living out loud exorcism of my shame too. Cause I had a lot of things I'd chosen when I was hurt of running from people who really wanted to love me of, I really wanted to figure out relationships. I wanted to master it. And I realized shit, everybody does even unconsciously they do. And why don't we teach this in school? So I could have used your podcast back then. <laughs> likewise, likewise. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you say that you were anxiously attached? I was quick to abandon my own needs. I wasn't good at expressing my needs. You know, my childhood was good. I mean, my father was emotionally available. He's actually the one I spoke a lot to about what I was going through in relationships. He was very inquisitive. My mother was holding a lot. You know, my father was married before and got divorced. Man, my mother, he had a my sister in that relationship and she had three kids and was overextended. And so I found my survival strategy was my mom, her reactivity was sometimes unpredictable and it was never violent or anything like that. It was like physically safe. But as a little kid, you know, that reactivity just causes you to not want to poke the bear. And so in romantic relationships, I think actually I want to also say that one of the sort of cultural influences at the time is I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And one of the cultural influences is a lot of the messaging was like, men are bad, men are evil, men are rapists. I mean, that messaging still exists today. It might even be more amplified lately. I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah. The term toxic masculinity was not available yet. But, you know, what that then did is I didn't want to be like other men. I was like your classic, quote unquote, nice guy. Nice guy. I misconstrued uh, boundaries for being controlling. I was afraid of upsetting my partner. I mm. really didn't stand in a self. And the way that I really oriented to other was like, I'll do whatever I can. I'll be the most romantic, most loving. And also in that window of sort of like the most important teenage developmental years, like 11, 12, 13, 14, I was kind of chubby for a couple of years there. And I experienced as social hierarchies start to be created in that like 12, 13, I found myself falling. <laughs> I found it being created and me staying in the same. <laughs> and that was painful because a lot of, when I finally got fit in grade nine and I went back to the first day of school, all of a sudden I got attention. And I remember thinking this, like there was like a part of me that couldn't help but love the attention now that I was getting from girls. But there was a part of me that was really angry because I was like, I'm still the same person that I was mm. last year. So all of that really caused me to be terrified of being betrayed, be terrified of being abandoned because I finally got love. I finally got connection. If I, there was a survey available then, I probably would have checked all the boxes. Okay. So this is interesting because the conversation and the dialogue around self-esteem in women, I think people study that more, they understand it more, they associate it more. But as someone who's worked with, I mean, I work with a lot more women than I do men, but I've worked with a lot of what I would consider younger men, like younger millennial men, early thirties. I don't think we talk enough about the struggles with self-esteem that boys and young men have. And this idea of, I got to be the nice guy. I got to be different than all the other guys that screwed her over. I got to be different than all the other guys, you know, whatever, like men are bad. And the nice guy is a pleaser. 
And he's always miserable. He's actually miserable. So miserable. So miserable. And then he's resentful. And then he feels like bad about himself because what other path is there to take when you don't feel like you can actually be yourself other than you're just going to get resentful at Mm -hmm. the person you're in a relationship with. So, yeah, it's a really interesting thing that happens. Again, I don't think we talk about it enough, the struggle of men to feel enough inside their relationships, to the fact that they grapple between whatever, their stronger side, their darker side, they're they're afraid of being misconstrued as being, you know, toxic or bad. And it's such an important conversation. So when you started to incorporate and enforce boundaries in your relationships, what did that look like for you? Did it work? Oh man. It's a great question. Did it work? The first initiation of boundaries is such a prolific, profound, courageous act. I think what's fascinating about boundaries is that they have this symbiotic relationship with self-worth in that if I set a boundary, I'm saying I love myself and it feeds, you know, it it puts deposits in the self-worth bank. But if you've never had boundaries, that means you're starting with a zero balance. You're starting with a hope. You're starting with a possibility. And so you have to make this leap that, you know, because truthfully you put in a boundary, you might lose people and that's actually a reality. But Mm -hmm. what starts to happen is you start to gain yourself. And it's this interesting, strange paradox that you have to hold that there might be distance, especially if you're anxiously attached, you know, terrified of distance. And so you finally have to swim in it. Yeah. And and then I think that wakes up a lot of the grief that we haven't dealt with of maybe someone who was unpredictable or not present as a child. So yeah, yeah, when I first started bringing them in, I I remember I would kind of declare them like, oh, I need this. And they became kind of like that. But once I learned the language of it and I learned that the victory isn't in the outcome, it's in the process. And who I was becoming in the exploration of being able to stand in myself was different. You know, I was realizing that if I'm speaking specifically about relationship and me being in, I'm heterosexual, it was like women started to actually respect me, which I found that people were more drawn to me because mm-hmm. I actually had a self. And there's a great line from the book from Robert Glover, which is called No More Mr. Nice Guy. Mm-hmm. And he says that if you don't stand up to her, she won't believe you'll stand up for her. And it's the truth. It so is because, you know, yeah. I think about now, like, I'm sure you experience the same in your work and in your life is like, there's actually nothing more attractive than a boundary. Like it's the hottest thing yeah. because when someone's like, this is what I want. Here's what it looks like. If you want something similar, let's talk about it and let's find compromise and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't, cool. Like, that's great. And yeah. the other person's like, damn, like what? Totally. What is this? There's also Fair nothing move. hotter than someone saying like, I love you, but what you just said is not cool with me. That doesn't work. So, so let's true. figure out what does work, but that doesn't. Yeah, because, you know, you look at books like, the game or, and you know, the, the underlying message in books like the game are actually like, Hey, I thought value was in manipulation and threesomes, but it's actually 
in right. finding fulfillment. Yeah. And so we villainize books like that, but they're actually a lot to learn from. And so the pickup artistry world really, and even the book, Why Men Love Bitches, I think the book is called, this like we teach people how to have the skill set of representing themselves as having high self-worth, but it's mm -hmm. not authentic. And you know, you were talking previously about the nice guy, the nice guy or the nice girl, the people pleaser, it's contrived. It's not authentic. It's manipulative. Yes. And of course we need to have compassion for where that comes from. Cause that's usually a thing I hear like, Oh, that's not trauma informed. That's this, that I totally get it. We can have compassion for something and also see that it is completely toxic and detrimental, not just to relationship, but to our own psyche, to our own health. I agree a hundred percent. This episode is brought to you by Miracle Made. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? In fact, <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night last night and my AC, I kind of switch it between like AC and fan and it was on fan and I was so hot and that's why I woke up and I really didn't want to like get out of bed and turn on my AC, but I was tossing and turning and I was thinking to myself, why can't I sleep? And I said, oh yeah, it's because I am too warm. So if you wake up too hot or too cold, because sometimes you do wake up and it's too cold and that's really uncomfortable too. I highly recommend you check out Miracle Maid's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Maid uses silver infused fabrics and makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night. And did you know that actually traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? It's really gross. And it can lead to a lot of allergies and stuffy noses. I've been there and again, it's just gross. Miracle Made offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent 99% of bacteria and require three times less laundry. I am in. So using silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get better sleep every night. And like I said, it's self-cleaning. They're infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets, which is great. And obviously the most important thing from my perspective, and I think for most, is that they have to be comfortable. And Miracle Made sheets are very comfortable. They're luxurious. And they don't have the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice if not nicer than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. The reality is, is that when you have that like sleeping bacteria, it can clog your pores, it can cause breakouts, and it can make your nose very stuffy. So go to trymiracle.com slash Jillian to try Miracle Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo code Jillian at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jillian and use the code Jillian to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Jillian to honestly treat yourself. 
I also have seen and know that if someone is always criticizing their partner, you can really bring out the people pleaser in your partner. And then it's like, you also have the responsibility to not, because here's the truth. If we're in a relationship with someone and we love them, we do want to please them. That's not a pathology. Like we want them to be happy. We want we, we want to see a smile on their face. And so if we're the person who's nothing's ever good enough for them and they're always sort of nitpicking, you will literally create a pleaser out of your partner. You gotta heal relationally. It really is. It's so yeah. interesting. It's, it's never on just own. one person in a relationship. No, I remember early in Kylie and I's relationship, I remember saying to her, like, I feel like you never let me win. Like you set these targets or you ask for something and I do the thing. And then all of a sudden it's a new thing. And I said, like, you don't let me arrive. And oh, she, women, we were really good at that. <laughs> well, and she was so, she's so good. She was so self-reflective and she's like, you're right. I do. That's interesting. Like that's, mm -hmm. you know, how we can maintain connection is by this, like, I'll keep making you jump. You'll keep saying how high you're going to get exhausted eventually. And maybe I will, but although there's a lot of cool stuff happening for me, I'm getting my <laughs> needs met, which I think is the interesting thing, you know, having been avoided is I really was getting so many needs met and I, my avoidance really presented by having short-term relationships by dating you people who are I, that term wasn't available then. I know, uh, but <laughs> yeah. upon reflection, did you go through a phase of that? Peers, I'd say that word would have been used about me. And Unfairly. I, I was oh. always honest about what I desired. Although here's where I'll add the like caveat to all of that is that, I mean, even if narcissist was available, then I would have probably gotten called in. Because what I did unconsciously, I didn't do any of this consciously. I unconsciously created distance and controlled the level of intimacy because I was terrified of being betrayed again. Mm -hmm. And so the way I could get my needs met and feel loved was through sex and through connection, through physical intimacy and spending time with them and treating them like a girlfriend. But as soon as it got too close, my stomach would get sick. I would like want to run, want to ghost. And so her experience of you was probably like a lot of the women who will say emotionally unavailable, like something's wrong with him, but it's an interesting, it's fear. It total, I was terrified. Yeah. And one thing that I think was really fascinating was a friend of mine once said to me, there was this woman who I used to connect with whenever I was back in town where I grew up. And he said to me, what is your level of integrity? Because at this point I was like, I had cleaned up my life pretty much as far as I knew till he said this. And he was like, what's your level of integrity? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, if you wanted a relationship from her, do you think she'd want one from you? And I was like, oh yeah, for sure. And he's like, but you don't want one from her. And I'm like, no. And he's like, so what's your level of integrity? Like you're mm. at this point, I was unconsciously, it was totally unconscious. I was unconsciously taking advantage of that. I knew she desired more. And I, I had this strange awareness. People won't agree with this with some people because I think it was a whole nother level for me was the recognition that sometimes the person with the greater level of awareness has to actually choose integrity for the other person because you're really still extracting. It's an extractive way of being in a relationship. I was extracting to get my needs met. 
And of course, like how many posts are written about this? How many questions have I gotten about this exact guy and girl? You know, I've been in a relationship with a woman who was the exact same. Oh my God. It is so, so true. So if anyone is listening to this and they're in a quote unquote situationship and you know, they want more, but you don't want more then if you want to be living in integrity, you got to do what's right and call it. Let me give you the counter that I hear to this because I'd like okay. to chat about it with you. Yeah. Is the counter I hear to this is, but I'm honest with them and they're autonomous beings and they are mm -hmm. choosing to participate in this despite me being very transparent. And you know what? It's true. That's and true. I'm always, that is true. I mean, a lot of my messaging to a lot of people like, and the situationship, if someone is transparent with you that they don't want more and then you're like, oh, okay. And then they're not giving you more. And then you're complaining to all your friends that you're getting yeah. mixed messages. Like you are wasting your time. It's so true, but it's that really interesting gray area where, you know, that's not wrong. No, it's definitely true. But so is it true that, you know, we actually can't make anyone feel anything. Like there is a really strong argument for your feelings are your feelings. I'm not responsible for your feelings. 100% and if one, agree. And if one were to do a deep dive into ancient Hindu, Buddhist, yogic texts, there would be enough evidence to support that no one can actually make you feel anything. But when you're in a relationship and you pull that line with someone, you immediately break trust. You immediately yeah. create a rupture in the relationship. And so I'd be so curious to hear your thoughts on this, where this gray area, where there are these sort of philosophical truths Mm -hmm. but yet somehow don't entirely apply to a relationship of any sort. I mean, is it a morality thing? I mean, are we talking about morality, especially when it comes to ending a relationship with someone where you know they want more and even though you've been very honest with them? I think at the end of the day, you can ask both people, the person who's getting less than they want, and the person who's getting exactly what they want, I think that you could ask each person, why are you continuing to expend your energy into something that isn't actually what you want? Right. I think that there's a lot of gray area there. I think there's a couple parts to this. The first part is what we're both saying that each person is radically responsible for their own selves and what they choose to say yes to. And I would argue that the person who's saying yes to something that really is not a full yes, but is really living and orienting to the relationship from a place of hope needs to learn how to say no to pursuing things as you're saying, because that's actually how they reinforce discernment. That's how they reinforce self-trust. That's how they become a sovereign being again. You know, that's mm -hmm. how they rescue themselves from trying to people please and get att choosing attachment or connection to other over connection to self. A self-betrayal is an act of the destruction of the sacred relationship you have with yourself. But if you've yes. never had someone actually treat you as sacred, which I think when someone is ready to take on who's participating in the other side, 
to take on another level of responsibility. Because even to say, well, I told them the truth and it's not about the other person. Because at this point it's about, do I want to live and relate in a way that is extractive, in a way that is manipulative, that is taking advantage? And they'll say, but I'm not, I'm telling the truth. But at the same time, you know a truth that you're actually exploiting. I couldn't agree with you more. Keep going, keep going, yeah. Yeah, and so for me, this was true for me, as, as soon as my friend so very directly called that forward, I had now had an awareness of like, oh, there's a more integrous version of me, and he actually makes these decisions now. And mm -hmm. so I cleaned up that connection. I apologized and owned it. But man, then I thought, holy shit, I've been doing this since I was 19, 20, where I was so terrified of being hurt by a woman who could meet me eye to eye, soul to soul, that I was controlling the level of connection with people that I had power over on some level, mm. which is codependent. Again, it's still codependent because these are these controlling hooks that we either fall for or use. And I would say, even if you fall for it, it's a hook, right? Cause it's like mm -hmm. the victim side of the hook. So yeah, I mean, listen, everyone's allowed to choose what they want to do, but I think the people that generally, this isn't maybe always true. I like to add the 99.9% is that people who choose either side of a situationship are often afraid of where intimacy and truly being met actually leads. So it's just another way of avoiding actually confronting our stuff. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. yeah. I think that all those kind of relationships are really avoidance. Oftentimes when you're clinging to someone else anxiously, you're avoiding yourself and you're also avoiding totally. hard conversations and whatnot. We're so afraid of being hurt. I mean, that's really the bottom line. And actually there was yeah. a post that you wrote, speaking of being hurt, to never love again is to have a broken heart. To have a heart that's in pain, it's not broken, it's working. I love that. And it's so true. People really get so afraid to love again. Look, heartbreak, and I talk about it a lot, it can be just emotionally catastrophic. What's unfortunate is that we're not taught young. That's sort of part of the deal of being human. <laughs> right. Right. That would have been nice. Instead of fairy <laughs> tales, nice. they could maybe give us where it's always happy endings. And yeah. of course, like a man saving a woman from a train track or a tower. Yeah. You know. And why not celebrating endings? Like, why not celebrate your divorce because chances are if you got divorced you were really unhappy and now you're free this episode is brought to you by rocket money are your subscriptions draining your wallet because i know they've been draining mine <laughs> the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions and they might not even remember subscribing to half of those i know i am certainly guilty of this if you have no idea just how much you're spending each month, you need Rocket Money. It's a game changer. It's this great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. This blew my mind when I found out. But did you know that over 80% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Think of how many free trials you've subscribed to that you've probably never canceled. Again, I know I'm guilty of this. And that is why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money. 
Because the truth is there's subscriptions for everything these days from streaming services to fitness programs. And sometimes it really can be impossible to keep tabs on what you're paying for every month. And that's why I use Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Because most people think they're spending around $80 on their subscriptions, when in reality, the number is closer to around $200. When you've signed up for so many things like those streaming services used to watch one show or free trials for deliveries you don't use, it's so easy and common to lose track of what you're paying for. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash onlove. That's rocketmoney.com slash on love, rocketmoney.com slash on love. We need to be taught to really embrace freedom in that way. A bad relationship feels like prison. Amen. Not that I've ever been to prison, but and what I would imagine (laughs) prison would feel like. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Participating in relationships that do not foster the full development of both people and speak to the dreams and the potential of both people. Hey, listen, I learned long ago, not everybody wants great relationships. Not everybody wants a fulfilling life. You know, this message isn't for those people. But for the people who do, and you know, so many people spend their whole lives in relationships that are totally unfulfilling because of narratives they've been taught about what it means to be in relationship and that their values in the relationship. And that's why even if you get divorced and you thought you wanted to be married and the other person left you and you're left devastated, that tells me like you're not awake to the full capacity of the potential of a relationship. You learn to actually be in a relationship with someone who might want to leave you and you're like, I'll hold on to any story but the one that I've actually been disconnected from the full potential of my love. And like I learned not long enough ago, but I learned that when I went through a really painful breakup, when Kylie and I broke up and then I was going to ask you, cause you went through a kind of public breakup with her and she's now your spouse, isn't she? She's now my wife and my baby mama. You know? Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, it was chosen by both of us and you know how usually someone says, yeah, like we broke up and you're like, all right, who initiated it? This was really a mutual initiation of both of us. And I say that in the sort of developmental sense and the initiation of it. Like for me, I didn't want to be in a relationship with someone who couldn't choose me fully. And I was tired of that. I got to the place finally, which I usually, I think when we get to our forties, the tolerance for bullshit, which hopefully we can impart on younger minds today. Yeah, it definitely goes down. Yeah. And so I was like, here's the story I want to create with my life. Here's what I want to do. I want to do it with you. If you don't, that's okay. Like I love you. And I'll love you even if you can't choose this. It doesn't matter to me. And I said that because I was so desperate to have wanted to hear that when I was 27, when I went through that breakup in my late 20s. was like, I couldn't choose the relationship. I had to choose myself. I didn't know why. It made no sense. I had to leap off this cliff and let go of someone who on paper was everything. And for her, she needed to choose to leave because 
it meant trusting herself. It meant trusting what she was being drawn towards. I mean, I could see so much the mirror of my younger self and it was closed with love. And because it was closed with such love, we did a closing ceremony. Like we actually honored the closing of it. And I remember just being in the deepest grief. It was the first breakup I'd ever gone through sober too. So I was mm. in the deepest grief, especially in that first couple months. But what I discovered in that was that I was just feeling how much love had been created between us. And I started to just see that like, there's that saying that grief is love that has nowhere to go. And I really felt like I don't necessarily agree with that statement fully because I actually felt what I was feeling was this potency of like openness. And I, that's why I think whenever we love somebody, whenever we choose to sign up to a connection, we are actually, as we deepen, saying yes to losing them. And so mm -hmm. as you love someone, you are also mourning them, which is a strange paradox. Oh, it's so true. You know? Yes. And so you have to expand your capacity for grief. And most of us don't know how to explore grief and we don't know the value of grief because our culture doesn't actually, I mean, we're a death avoidant, we're grief avoidant, we're pain avoidant. And, you know, most of the conversation about depression, anxiety, things like that. I mean, look, they even removed, if you lose a loved one, they removed that as a reason not to give someone an antidepressant out of the DSM. So we have a, a culture that is like, you're sad, here's something, which don't get me wrong, there's a place and a time. But the message we're taught about emotion, unless it's happiness, joy, lust. Is something's you know, right or wrong. Right. And so like, why would I want to touch something that means there's something wrong with me. And so I started to excavate my grief and I realized so much of my grief from the ending of that relationship was 19 year old Mark who'd been betrayed, who had never, all the pints mm -hmm. of beer, all the casual encounters were all ways of not touching something that was so potent to my transformation. And, you know, that's why I think breakups are one of the greatest gateways to change. They're like, 100%. don't waste a good breakup. You know, don't, don't fucking waste, waste it. a good breakup. The purpose is change and transformation. It really is. Or you can do nothing and just keep repeating the same patterns. Oh, that's it, the worst though. Don't do it's that. The worst. <laughs> I did that. Really don't is. do that. Yeah. I really do believe that there's a purpose to pain, but that's not necessarily the message that needs to be received from someone who's in the acute stage of yeah. you know, grief and breaking up. But there is always a deeper lesson. So I get the question a lot and I'm sure you get the question a lot, which is how do you know if it's a good idea to get back together with your ex? And since you reunited with <laughs> yours, what would be your advice around that? They're obsessed with that question because mm -hmm. of course, my gosh, when you're in the middle of the fracture, you're like, fix this fracture. How did they do it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few keys to it for me, at least in how I look back. One is that the relationship was over when it was over. I was done. Like I, we closed it. We, that, that's the other key is we actually closed it with love. Mm -hmm. There was not a like, you need to come back to me. This needs to work. Our closing ceremony had three parts. And I gotta tell you, I pulled up outside the house before the closing ceremony started. And I was like, is this what crazy people do? Like this. <laughs> and I remember asking myself like, 
do I not want to do this because I genuinely don't want to do this? Or do uh-huh. I not want to do it? You mean in reference to the closing circle? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the closing ceremony. <laughs> the closing ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. Do I not want to do this because I don't want to do this? Or do I not mm-hmm. want to do it because it's going to ask a version of me that doesn't exist yet? The answer was easily number two. <laughs> like it came, mm-hmm. it was like the man who walked in there was different than the man who walked out without a doubt. And I get emotional even thinking about it because I had never closed a relationship with such grace, with such reverence. And it taught both of us that that love doesn't end when the container changes. I mean, that, that was so liberating because here we could depart. And man, the first part of it was like, what were some of our favorite memories? Oh, fuck, that was gutting. That was, you know, just so hard. Um, that guts me just hearing you say that. Because, you know, we have a fire going and we're playing music and, you know, some of our favorite songs. And you're just looking at each other like, this is the end. This is like one of the most beautiful moments. I can't believe you let moments. go after that. Yeah. yeah. And then the next one was, what did we appreciate most about the other person? And what were we grateful for? And the third one was, what did we hope for the other person and wish for them? That was harder to access, which, you know, was pretty, I mean, we were still only, I think about a month out from the breakup when we did that. Mm. And then we went no contact. And so I'd say the first part was that when it was over and that was important. And I think anyone who's going through a breakup, if you try to fight reality, that immediately you're going against how the universe works. Like, sorry, Mm -hmm. but, and I know that's painful, but you have to accept the truth. And whether it's the person who's left or the person who's been left, which it's usually the person who's been left that's fighting reality. Yes. And so I right away was like closed all the doors because the priority that people miss in post breakups is that they miss that their healing is actually the number one most important thing. And so, you know, for me, I didn't need to stop following her on Instagram. I I just muted her. You know, I did speak about what I went through. I did a podcast episode on the, on the actual closing ceremony, which is called adulting is hard. I like sobbed in that episode. I've never listened to it again. I have no interest. (laughs) Please don't. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the wrong question is how do you get back together with your ex? To be honest, because to me, it's all about how do you fully claim what you desire and what you're worthy of? And the real thought is like, how do you meet them moving forward? So if you could take this desire to fight for them and fight for you, this desire to look at like all the moments that you have actually forgotten about yourself, because so many of us, I think when we leave relationship are fighting for someone to finally choose us. So it's like this reactivation of this massive rejection, abandonment, wound, Mm -hmm. of course, the healing, I know this sounds obvious but it's so tough is like the healing of that is to restore wholeness within yourself is to choose yourself everything you chase in relationship must be done you know at home first and so i always think like if you're living your best life you get into full healing you look at the patterns that you've had in relationship and you start to heal them and and work on them and i know you have a breakup course now coming out Mm -hmm. i believe right a workbook yeah and of course yeah so like if you dive deep into something like that And you become 
the fullest, most expressed, badass, potential version of yourself, get in the fittest shape of your life, become everything you've not been. And people do this all the time when they break up with people. They go travel Europe. They go to school. Mm -hmm. They do. I'm like, we should be doing that in relationship. But hey, don't waste a good breakup. So step into it. And whoever you meet, if that's them, great. But if you're in that version of yourself, you actually won't care. Yeah, it's really true. You won't. It's so, so true. I also think like if you're going to get back together, you have to acknowledge the pain that you've caused. And I think that's a very hard thing for people, especially if the person who felt most rejected or not chosen, it's hard to be able to say like, I may have caused some pain here. And that's a hard thing to face within yourself when you think, you know, you're the virtuous one in the relationship. You're the (laughs) one who loves the most, you know, you're the one who is more willing to communicate than the other. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I know that when I have gone through a really hard time in life, when stuff got really hard around my divorce and my mom dying, there was just absolutely no way that I would have made it through that time without the help of a therapist. And the truth is sometimes in life we're faced with really tough choices and the path forward isn't always clear. It can be hard to make the right choice. It can be hard to even process that choice. So whether you're dealing with big decisions around work, career, whether you're dealing with big decisions around relationships or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you can better navigate life. And so the point is you can move forward with confidence and actually some excitement about your future. I mean, that's what it's really all about, isn't it? So you want to be able to trust yourself to make decisions that align with what it is that you really want. And the more you practice it, the easier it gets. You know, therapy just in general is just great for helping you develop better coping skills, better communication skills, because we do not come with a manual and we all need at various points in our lives, some third party objective help. So if you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. First of all, it's entirely online. It really is designed to be convenient, flexible, and to suit your schedule. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, which is amazing because the relationship you have with your therapist is a relationship. And some relationships are better than others, meaning like you have to have a connection with this person. So the fact that you can switch at any time for no additional costs is excellent. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash onlove today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash onlove. You tell me, I mean, could you imagine that there could have been a path forward for the two of you had you not both taken total accountability? No, there was definitely not. And, you know, like when she approached me and said, like, I'd like to have a coffee and just like catch up, you know, this was now seven, eight months later, we'd had a 
coming back together in about four months after our departure. We went for dinner and there was like a recognition it wasn't time or sorry, it wasn't happening. But you know, that's what was interesting too, is there was like this real invitation to discernment and respect that like, if it's not a full yes for you or a full yes for me, it's not a yes for us. And that was hard to be in as someone who was like healing this chasing and healing this desire to be chosen. But when we finally did decide to explore coming back together, we created a dating container and we dated for three months. We didn't have sex. That was a rule. And what I loved about that is there was like a a healing of like using sex for connection. And like the, there's so many other ways you can experience connection without you yes. know, penetrative sex. And then what occurred too was like I had to keep, because I was so stuck in this like neural pathway of like I'm all in, are you? That was like my classic bullshit. I had to keep coming back to, M. is this a yes for me? And then in the beginning, there was healing, as you were saying, that clearing. And there was things like I, I would say to her, like, I don't trust your yes. Like, I don't trust. Mm-hmm. You tell me you want to choose this. I don't. We have years now of you saying that and there being a distance that it was palatable sometimes. And she was like, I hear you. You're right. And she was like, I'm not going anywhere. I was like, oh, God, that's like exactly what I needed to hear. So as you said, I think like one part of closing doors so that they may ever need to be opened again. I remember hearing I interviewed this woman named Yoda, who's a chef, and she shared this quote that imagine if you left your relationship as you left a house that you prepared it for the next owner. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, how could you ever get back together when there's so devastation, disrespect? And Mm -hmm. sure, it's possible, but you're right. There needs to be a space for repair, responsibility, and holding space, atoning. There needs to be space for atonement. Mm. And not to, like, bury someone in the shame of something. You know, I think, like, when relationships end from infidelity, you know, there's such important work that needs to be done of atoning. But yeah, you know, it's like, how can you get back together unless the other person takes full responsibility for their choices too? And I'm blessed. I mean, Kylie, she's so introspective and she takes full responsibility. And I had to also take responsibility for choosing to continue to be in a relationship with someone that didn't fully choose me. I had to grieve that. I remember working with a psychotherapist and I just had this massive moment of grief where I was like, I just felt like every you know, like a Rolodex every moment in my life that I'd settled for less. And I just grieved it because I was like, where did I learn? That was okay. Like, where did I learn that? And you know, I, it didn't even matter what the answer was. It was actually that I'd learned it. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. And then there was a new level, much like that level of integrity. It's like, oh, now there's a new level. And it is, we don't do that anymore. Cause how could you be in the full capacity of your being when you're actually in a relationship with someone who doesn't value the full capacity of your being. It's impossible. Those two things cannot coexist. You can't fully love yourself and choose something that is unloving. That's impossible. Yeah. What are your thoughts about loving yourself in order to be in a relationship and having to be healed to be in a relationship? I mean, I know... I know my thoughts and I think it's, again, a somewhat gray area, but I'm curious to hear your perspective on it. 
Yeah, I mean, I love what you said earlier. Like, you heal in relationship. I mean, that's where we get wounded and that's where mm -hmm. we heal. And I think, you know, you, you could have your poop in a group when you're single. You got all the things vibing. You think you're good. You install Tinder and your shit falls apart, you know, because yeah. someone didn't text you back or someone blocks you or unmatches or whatever mm -hmm. the fuck happens, which is perfect for your evolution because you're like, oh, shit, I still got work to do. Because mm -hmm. having boundaries in relationship to other people's needs and responses to your boundaries is really where the rubber hits the road. Yes. You know, can you maintain you and be in relationship with another person? That's the work. And you're yes. always changing and they're always changing. So that's why the work's never done. So sorry for everyone who thinks that one day they'll hit the glory, you know, the spot where all of a sudden it's that relationships are the perfect container for your evolution. I mean, there's no more potent vehicle to become, let's say, self-actualized if that's what you seek. But even just to become a ninja of connection and... totally. I mean, for me, I think there's work that needs to be done on self first, but that can be done in relationship to other person. I think the first part is that if you seek other to avoid yourself, you need to be with yourself. There's a great book by, who's the guy who had that uh, cult in Oregon? Osho. Osho, yeah. Yeah. One yeah. of the best books I've ever read. So don't always kill the messenger. No, um, I agree. It's called Love, Freedom, and Aloneness. Mm -hmm. And... Oh, it's such a potent book. It really allowed it me really to is. learn, right? It's like yes. straight medicine. It's written in a code that's like goes after your soul and calls your shit mm -hmm. out. And it really teaches you the difference between being alone and being lonely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, to be lonely is to believe that someone else is going to give you something that you can really, you'll keep losing those people so you can discover it doesn't live there. So I think there's work like discovering who you are, discovering what you value, you know, discovering yourself, being on an adventure and yeah. taking time to actually not be in relationship with other people. I'd say if you've never taken a break from actually participating in the exchange of sexual energy and attention, that is really potent work because you've got I to agree. actually, right? Like you don't get this mirror of your wow power and these distractions. I mean, when I've worked with people where it's like you make an agreement that they can't date for, let's say, three months. Almost every single person meets someone who is wanting them to leave this container. I said, first off, if you're in a container, you're always going to get the like most perfect coconut oiled person who's going to test your shit to oh, see you. <laughs> right? So I like, totally. But it's so funny because when you said that, I'm like, oh my God, three months, that's nothing. I'm just, I, I probably am like too comfortable with aloneness when people are like don't date for three months i'm like that like goes by That's like nothing. that like how is that it's even a nothing. problem like actually i really think you should not date for a year but we'll go slow <laughs> i was being nice but six months is probably a good idea but yeah. the three months is powerful because you start to witness yeah. how you relate to other people's energy and how you actually source attention i think mm -hmm. especially like women are taught that their value is in the attention that they get yes but for both it's valuable and from there, you start to enter relationship with other because you start to build this level of discernment for self. I also think, hey, like nothing lives in isolation. So if your pattern is to self-abandon in relationship to other, it means that you do it everywhere. So there is no work on relating to other that isn't or work on relating to self that doesn't involve looking at nourishment in every definition of that word. So food are you eating food that is nourishing to your body and your mind and your soul? 
Yes. How are you in relationship to fitness and movement, meditation? So there's like, you can't get into relational health and not be in spiritual health. I'm sorry, but like, they don't live in boxes. And so I you got really it. agree with that, but I think we should unpack it a little bit. Yeah, let's unpack. I mean, so... They are boxes. So that's a perfect yeah, metaphor. For people who don't maybe gravitate towards the word spiritual, you right? You got to join a church, a cult, um, and then you'll be good. <laughs> Exactly. Salvation. I just don't see relationship as being in a relationship with someone as separate from personal evolution and growth. Though, again, gray area, it's kind of difficult because there are a lot of people who are self-reflective and honest and obviously they want to be with someone who's self-reflective. They can have the difficult conversations and whatnot. But I ran into an old friend of mine yesterday and it was so interesting because she loves to have the hard conversations. I don't know how she is in a relationship, but she appears as a, you know, very self-reflective. She's into all of that, let's just say. And she's very chatty. And her boyfriend who she's been with for a couple of years now isn't. He's not from this country. He's quiet. He's introspective. He's introverted. And he's not very friendly. It's like they're complete opposites. And it's not that he's mean. He's just not chatty. He's just kind of like, yeah, you know, I know you checks mean. out a little bit. And it's interesting because I was observing them and her. And what I observed is that I didn't observe any discontentment in her. I just observed someone when I was watching her physiology around her, what I noticed was a relaxed nervous system around mm -hmm. him even though she's like, oh yeah, that's just him. And I was like, you know what? Fine. He seems to make you happy. You seem to be happy in this. He's actually very nice. He just has no social skills. And I can't imagine that they're having like these deep conversations about, you know, growth and whatnot, but maybe. And she just said, you know what, Jillian, he shows up for me mm. every single time. He just shows up for me. And that makes me really happy. I mean, that's beautiful. And it's beautiful. And I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm deviating a little bit from what we were saying about spirituality and relationship, but I think that one thing that, although it's a wonderful thing that more and more people are saying, I want a conscious partner, I want to have this sort of conscious connection, I want to have these types of real conversations and I think that's a wonderful thing. I also think that there are people who are wanting that so much. It's like they want perfection and they're not prioritizing mm. what's really important and that you can get that person who can talk about all those things really well. But if they don't show up for you, if they don't just accept you for who you are, like what I witnessed in their relationship was that they just accepted each other for who they are. They weren't trying to change it. And the reason why they accepted it is because, you know, they both fundamentally feel supported by the other, even though on the surface they seem totally like mismatched. But I don't think they're mismatched because I watched how relaxed they are around one another. And how many times have you... I mean, I've met lots of people where it's like, they look like they belong together, their values are straight, like everything is perfect. And when you watch them together, they're stress balls, they're unhappy. Mm -hmm. 
And so you said something earlier about your tolerance for bullshit really goes down once you're in your 40s. And we want to impart that, you know, to the younger generations. But I also think that another thing that people need to know is that you got to prioritize what's really most important to you. And no one is perfect. No one is perfect. And values, yes, are really important for sure. But you just never know. Like, I know for me is that the older that I get and the older that my peer group gets, it's like, you tend to just recognize what's really most important. And especially if you've been hurt a lot. When you've been hurt a lot and then you have someone who's like, you know what, this person shows up for me all the time. You're like, that is hot. That is sexy. That's all. That's really what I want. If he's going to like be mute once in a while while we're like in a social situation, fine. <laughs> it's totally okay. Doesn't he doesn't so have bad. to be charming. I probably wishes for that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love everything you're saying. I think what's powerful about what you're saying too is that first off, you mentioned the nervous system. There is no healing in relationship without healing the nervous system. And that's why, you know, the no dating phase is actually really important because you can restore regulation and self-regulation. Avoidantly attached people have a hard time co-regulating. Co-regulating and then, yeah, yeah the anxiously, anxiously attached people yeah. have a hard time self-regulating. They need connection yeah. to other, even if it's fleeting, to feel safe. I think what's so simple about understanding that too is like the way that people orient to insecurity or space is just different. Some people cling and other people run. And so if we can start to think about how do I orient to space rather than the other person, we can start to live in these liminal spaces that are uncomfortable and just stretch ourselves a bit, which is, you know, being around regulated people, being around communities that are resourced. I remember in research that looked at people who did psychedelics, I believe it was people who had committed crimes. What they saw was that rate of people who committed crimes again went way down for those who had one psilocybin experience. And what's posited is that it's because they reflected on how they felt connected to everything. And Mm. so, you know, for me, I grew up at the Catholic church. I went to a Catholic school. I felt a real disconnection from the word God. God as a word, I was, it was weaponized against me as a kid, not in my family, but at school. It took a lot for me to come back to even the term, the word, but where I started to feel some sense of, let's say, openness to the idea of spirituality was when I would meditate and I'd be like, holy, I remember having crazy synchronicities. I was like, this is fucking nuts. And now, you know, I hit an 11-11, a 3-3-3, I'm not getting in the way of some magical numbers. And that allowed me to at least start to feel this connectedness. I remember as a kid stepping on ants. Now I would never step on an ant. You know, I, I have know. such a reverence for life. And would I you didn't step on a roach? Have, I would put it outside. Even spiders, I catch them and put them outside. A New York City roach you would put outside? See, I've not experienced them. So <laughs> I No, but I hear you. I hear you. I hear the you. The only contract I sometimes have is with mosquitoes. I grapple with that too. Yeah. Mosquitoes, I'm like, listen, you bite me, you're done. Like I just, Yeah, no, I exactly. For your the next is gonna be a mosquito. Like if you're about to bite me, like it's, you're gonna be annihilated. Yeah, it's I'm sorry, I'll come back <laughs> in my over. next life as one and you can do the same to me. It's but a wrap. Yeah. What you said about connection too, I think reliability, man. I think I saw a reel that you just did on on that. Like 
what we call chemistry very early in the honeymoon mm. phase is this swimming of pheromones and desire. And, you know, if you look at some of the research really brought alive by this smelling of a diverse immune system, that's the opposite yes. of ours that makes us drawn to someone. And so we forget that we're biological beings. We forget that we're actually a species. And that's why things like seduction, things like self-confidence, they trigger what we see as attractive you know, I was listening to Robert Greene's, one of his new books, Mastery, I think it's called, or The Laws of Human, I can't remember which one. But he was saying that, like, you actually don't need to be attractive to be attractive. No, which you don't. I, th I think it's profound for people to learn. It's like, mm -hmm. it's in The Art of Seduction. I got the books wrong. But in it, he talks about how, like, some of the most seductive people in history were actually not physically attractive at all. And mm -hmm. so I think that allows us to learn how to build these other skills in I say all that because like when you actually regulate and start to show up for yourself and keep your word with yourself, you know, that's such an important aspect. That's part of healing trauma. You know, there's a saying that the opposite of trauma is choice. So it's being able to say like, I'm going to make my bed every morning and you do it, or I'm going to go for that walk tomorrow. But when you don't do it, you might think to yourself, well, I'm the only one who knows I didn't, but that's actually the one person who needs to know that you did. And so totally. Why that seems inconsequential psychologically, but is actually massive is because when you say to yourself, when I'm going to do something, I do it, that actually gives you discernment when you're in the face of choosing something, whether it's good for you or not, because you choose things that are good for you or not. When we then start to be in relationship with people who are reliable, we recognize how important our own reliability is, and we don't want anything that doesn't reflect the same value we give to ourselves. You know, like Kylie and I are real different. I'm outspoken, loud. I have a lot of opinions, which most people are well aware of. And she does not. She's like soft-spoken, quiet. She's more introverted. She's much tidier than me. At the end of the day, if I ask the question, and I believe I saw this in one of your posts too, which is like the defining characteristic of a securely attached person is to be able to say, if something was up, would they show up for me? And mm -hmm. the second, which you talked about was, do my needs matter as much as theirs? Yeah. And as soon as there's theirs matter more than mine or mine matter more than theirs, you're not in an equitable relationship. No. And so you're not free. Your nervous system is going to be dysregulated. You're constantly trying to chase them. So I love that you said that because like, I know in a study they did on speed dating where they asked people what they wanted in someone and then they sped date, if that's the term, and they threw all the shit they wanted, like the values they had right out the out window the as window. soon as they had connection. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, but he's six two, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. it's hot. which no yeah. offense if you want to go after. So I don't, if someone yeah, has no, a no, no, but I just, just won't yeah. meet it. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fine with me. I just want to bring up one more thing that you wrote. And I think it was a, in a slide, but it piggybacks perfectly on what you just said. Mind your biology, be aware of lust versus love. Stop dating people who make your brain disappear. And it reminds me of like <laughs> something that I always think and preach is, you know, if you're so out of control, attracted to someone, like that's it, you're done. Because it's very hard to then become the master of yourself <laughs> in so a situation true. like that. 
we're going to be attracted to many different people throughout our lives. Like you have to be attracted sexually to the person you're in a relationship with. If you want to have a relationship that involves sex, like you need attraction, you need to have that physical attraction. You do. It's so hard to teach people that you can be physically attracted to someone. And when you like, Robert Greene says, you don't have to be attractive to be attractive. Like if when you get to know them and know their character and that builds more, but if you're so out of control, attracted to someone, like, honestly, I think you should run the other way. I think (laughs) that that's typically like, that's usually a recipe for disaster because most people, if they're out of control, like, you know, like they're just like, oh my God, that's the hottest person. Or, you know, big narrative is I can't believe someone this hot is interested in me. So there's a whole ego component to it. Right. And it's unconscious, but they are mirroring back to us the ideal that we've probably been constructing in our minds and been conditioned to construct in our minds since we were children. It's like, this Movies, person looks the way, yeah. looks the part, smells the part, is the part. And then we get tunnel vision. And that's usually when we have to really run away. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think it's dangerous for most yeah. people. If you can't choose where you direct your energy, then you're you're not in control of your energy. I remember yeah. uh, working with this group where we were talking about this concept of like, to be an actual adult is to take charge of your charge, where you mm. direct your sexual energy, what you do with it. Because, you know, what I hear often from people is like, I can't help who I'm attracted to. Right. And I say, yeah, okay. So you're saying you can't help chemistry. Yeah, okay. And I think this is one of the universe's beautiful, crude tricks, which I think it's like, you know, that idea of like uh, the Buddha woke up and he just started laughing. It's like, this is exactly one of those moments. I'm not even sure if that's a quote, but let's make it one. What happens is like, if you're drawn to people who aren't good for you, who you're being drawn to is actually asking you to develop a skill set to say no to what's not good for you. So it's actually very intended. And the idea that if chemistry is occurring with people who are toxic, quote unquote, blah, blah, narcissist, quote unquote, you know, all that. Or things, just simply just not good for you. Yeah. Right. Right. All the terms we use on social media, it's like, then your chemistry is not working. It's yeah. broken. Your picker broken. is broken. And so there's nothing wrong with that. That came from somewhere. We could pathologize it. But all you actually really need to know is you want to fix it. And so Mm -hmm. the only way to fix it is to stop saying yes to the shit that keeps reaffirming that it's broken so you can start to fix it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it serves us to be drawn to these people. But I remember, you know, Alison Armstrong? Yes. Yeah, which she's such a great teacher. Oh, she's wonderful. Yeah, and she says in one of her, all her audibles are like audios of her workshops. Mm-hmm. And she has like in sync with the opposite sex is a really great one. But in it, she talks about how like, if someone is a 10 out of 10 attractive, do not go for them. And I used to be like, nah, that's such bullshit. I a hundred percent agree with that now. Like I a hundred percent agree with that. When you think someone is a 10 out of 10, you immediately start to lose And this is where you really need a strong sense of self because usually what happens, and this is also what she was referring to, is that your authenticity 
starts to Gone. leave the room because you're just because all you're thinking, your instincts kick in and you're like, I must get this person. And so we go into this instinctual strategic ploy. Your brain's gone. To, your brain is gone. Your it's brain gone. is gone. And then all of a sudden you're trying to like be someone that you're not to get Ugh. this person to like you, you know, and you do have to have a really strong sense of self to be like, yeah, I'm, you're a 10 out of 10, but I know myself well enough that, you know, if, if you're only a 10 out of 10 right now, you know, I have to see if you're a 10 <laughs> out of 10, you know, in a couple of months or something like that. I think about that of like, someone will say, oh, they're the one. First off, if you use that language or they're a twin flame or any of those things, oh, yeah, no offense. Flame. I think the problem is, is like, you don't just give someone that title because they make your loins tingly. You allow them to earn it. And it's actually yeah. in the first month, you don't know if someone is your person, quote unquote, for whatever purpose they're going to live in your life. But the problem when you assign people the one and then you get all excited and you tell all your friends is they might become not the one real quick. Or Very like quick. That little, first right. fight will tell you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now you got to stay with them because you told everyone they're the one. <laughs> so, you know, you develop whatever addiction you can develop in order to avoid the truth that you're running from, which a lot of people spend their lives in that. Take the L. Take the L. Kick that term, the one, or because even like twin flame, it's like maybe they're the person who's just meant to teach you that you move on from shit that doesn't choose you. Like yeah. what a gift that one is. Woo. Yeah, seriously. You know? I want to be respectful of time. Last question from everything that you've learned, not just as a teacher, but as someone who has gone through many relationships and breaking up and coming back together. And now you're a new father. What would you say are like your top three most important relationship skills? And maybe it's different cool. than what you thought a year ago. Is there something that has changed for you? Well, I'd say the way you orient to your relationship is really important. And what I mean by that is I didn't think in my like teens and 20s, it probably started in my 30s where I really started to see that the connection with another person is sacred. Like that must be treated as sacred. That must be revered. My partner must be honored as sacred. And I think through the journey that I've had with Kylie especially, just that level of respect for one another where I like will get feedback from her, which I don't always like, but I see it as such value. Like I'm able to remove myself, let's say from the moment and be mm -hmm. like, Oh wow. And there's a great quote from John Gottman where he says that the thing that relationship masters, what really separates them is that, when there is conflict, they repair, they repair. They don't leave each other in pain. A lot of the times I left someone in pain to make them suffer because I was suffering. And uh, you know, I have the recognition of that now, but that's really important that I don't leave her in pain. Mutual choice. She'll often come back to me, I'll come back to her. And then I'd say okay. having a child now, and then like not having as many resources from an energy perspective because sleep is more inhibited, stress, etc. We all know that like what's the best thing, most important thing in relation communication, of course, is the answer most people give. Oh man, I've been really thinking about how I'm like seriously in the dojo right now. The work that I still haven't done, the like attachments I have, the way I see a, a situation that's not assuming good intent. I mean, that stuff's all coming up for me. 
And it's Mm -hmm. like, man, I'm feel depleted. She probably feels more depleted. And it's like, I'm in the gym. Like I'm in the gym. Don't waste this. This is just making me a better person and a better human. So I'd say like, if you orient your relationship as sacred, you can't not orient to it as the feedback you're receiving, whether it's explicit or implicit, as being of tremendous value to your development. Not that that's changed in the five months that we've had him, or even actually in the freaking time of pregnancy too. It's just that it's gotten so much more important to me. And I'm like in the gym right now. Whew, it's hard. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your just incredible wisdom and heart with everyone and with me today. I appreciate it. Mm. Where can people find you? So you can find me on the Mark Groves podcast that Jillian was on as well. And you can find any, like I have courses on breakups, dating, how to rediscover your own wholeness, all at createthelove.com. Yeah. Get his uh, courses, people. Yeah. Thanks so much. And follow Instagram. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I have an Instagram called Create the Love, and I have a personal one called It's Mark Groves. Okay, amazing. Thanks, Mark. I look forward to sometime in the future talking again. Yeah, me as well. That's it for today's episode of Jillian on Love featuring Mark Groves, otherwise known as Create the Love on Instagram. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and please, if there was anything that really struck you for someone that you know please do not hesitate to click share because you never know whose life you could be impacting in a really positive way you just never know and that's really the beautiful power of podcasts and sharing as always i would love to hear from you i'd love to hear what you got out of the episode any questions you might have so please email us at hello at jillianonlove.com I thank you for listening and until next time. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Shin Yin Hu. Editing and music by Will Tendy. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready for the ultimate Love Island experience? Join us on After the Island. We're going back to where it all began. Fiji. Love Island USA Season 5 is making a splash on Peacock right now. And guess what? Your favorite recap show is back too. Welcome to After the Island. Join us as real-life besties and co-hosts, Elizabeth and Alex, as we deep dive into each sizzling episode of Love Island USA. We'll spill the tea, interview contestants, answer fan questions, and give you unprecedented behind-the-scenes access to the wildly popular world of Love Island. Don't miss a single moment of the drama, romance, and unforgettable island vibes. Listen to After the Island on any streaming platform.